0: Even though you would sometimes disagree with him, he would listen.
1: There are things that we can be doing right now to have open dialogue, to get public input, and to be able to make solid decisions for the state of Alaska.
2: You know, politics, Mr. President, in my estimation, is a character test. Welcome to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gail Tobin. I'm Mike Mason. Today, Senator Tobin and I are joined by a man who's been working for many years on renewable energy projects and policy in the state of Alaska. Senator Tobin, how does it feel to be 100 days into your first legislative session in office?
1: Today feels pretty good, Mike.
2: And we are joined today by uh, Chris Rose. So Chris Rose, is the, uh, he is the executive director and the founder of the Renewable Energy Alaska Project which is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to increasing the development of renewable energy and energy efficiency in Alaska. Chris has a law degree from the University of Oregon and uh, also ran a private practice. I didn't know this about you, Chris, for several years, uh, where uh, you had, uh, you represented Alaskan, uh, Native Alaskans in several North Slope uh, villages as well. So, Chris, thank you for joining us today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
2: So first of all, uh, Chris and I know each other because I used to be a reporter and I would call you occasionally about, you know, energy projects and all that kind of thing. So uh, a microphone is nothing, nothing you're afraid of, I bet. No, this is fine. <laughs> so um, I want to begin with kind of where your efforts and Senator Tobin's efforts intersect and that is a piece of legislation, uh, Senate Bill 101, uh, which basically would put in place renewable portfolio standards in the state of Alaska. It has been something you've been working on for quite some time. And Senator Tobin has introduced uh, the bill in the Alaska State Senate. So first of all, what are renewable portfolio standards and why are they needed? So a renewable portfolio standard is a
0: standard that requires a area, some sometimes a state in this case will be just the rail belt to have a certain percentage of renewable energy in that portfolio to get a certain percentage of the electricity that they produce from renewables by a certain date. So they typically will be X amount by 2040 X amount by 2035. And there are milestones between the time that the law is passed and that end date so that the utilities who typically have to comply with that standard can keep on track and they can, you know, have a standard that might say X amount by 2025 and 2035 and 2045. And now we're, now you're done. Um, So it is a requirement. It is something that's enforceable with fines. And that's the difference between a standard and just simply an aspirational goal. States had an aspirational goal to get to 50% renewable electricity by 2025 since 2010 and virtually nothing's happened since that time because it's been aspirational. There's been no uh, enforcement behind it. That's the difference between a standard and a goal.
2: How long have you been working on uh, this kind of concept?
0: Well, it's an interesting question because RPSs have been around a long time and when I started REAP back in 2004, my natural inclination was to say, well, we'll we should get an RPS. But instead we worked on the Renewable Energy Fund, which I think was a good start to develop a fund here in the state that, that supports projects, mostly in rural Alaska. And the reason that it was a good idea to wait to, for the RPS is we had no way to implement it. And in 2020, something else we might talk about a little bit, um, the legislature passed Bill 123, which created this thing that's now called the rail Belt reliability council, which is a statewide, what's well, a regional entity, For the rail belt that will be the entity that does all the planning that implements the standard. So without a entity like the Rail Belt Reliability Council to implement the standard, it would have been kind of chaos. It would have been Wild West, there would have been really no way to say, okay, how are we going to get there? Because there was no regional planning. And now regional planning is required by that bill that was passed in 2020.
1: One of the exciting things is that the Renewable Energy Fund is on the floor of the Senate. It should be voted into law on Friday, and the changes that have been made don't just simply extend the fund for 10 years, but make it exist in perpetuity. And I think there's something really important to elevate there, that we all know that The current reliance on petroleum-based products, on fossil fuels, is not in our future. We need to be looking at what comes next. And to me, this fund is a reminder that we will need to invest in renewable technologies now and far into the future, particularly to help those in our rural communities, which is near and dear to my heart. The other thing I wanted to mention, Mike, is one piece about the renewable portfolio standards is more than 25 states have adopted them. So this isn't new for Alaska. This isn't something uh, that we're trying to be groundbreaking in or that we're trying to be innovative in. We're actually taking good ideas from other places and adopting them into our way of doing business.
0: First of all, I want to say it's super exciting that the Senate is going to uh, reauthorize the Renewable Energy Fund in perpetuity. because. Um, the, the bill on the house side, I think is just to reauthorize it for 10 years. And that's, what's been done now a couple of times. The bill was originally a five-year uh, authorization until 2013. And then we got a 10-year authorization in 2013. Well, we're never like you said, we're never going to not be focused on renewables from now on. That's going to be what we do. And in fact, the energy information administration, which is the entity at the federal level that really tracks all these statistics, Projects this year in the United States, for the entire country, 83% of all new power generation additions will be wind, solar, and batteries. So this is where the whole world is going. The state of Alaska will be left behind if we don't get on this train. The way to do it
2: is to have a standard. So I want to talk about the reason why renewable energy is so important. And uh, we've, we've addressed this a couple of times on the podcast, and that is... Global climate change is one of the factors that is at play. And I've brought this up a couple of times that this building, this institution has, for the most part, ignored this topic in favor of focusing on other things. You've been in this building many, many, many times, talking to many, many, many lawmakers. Do they take the global climate change issue seriously?
0: It's hard for me to say because I don't talk about it as much as I might with another group of people simply because it may not be the, the most important criteria for someone who might be skeptical to measure whether or not renewable energy is a good thing. We have economics on our side with renewable energy. And so I typically stick to the re, to all of the economic arguments. The big issue right now is uh, in the rail belt particularly We're about to import LNG. The four co-ops in the rail belt have all talked about importing LNG. That's going to spike our heating and electric prices. We already can be competitive with the current price of natural gas, but for us not to be taking this fork in the road now and say, we have to go to renewables because natural gas is going to get that much more expensive. It's crazy not to go that fork, but we still have to fight for it. But as a going back to your question, one of the things that I have noticed as a gardener, person who's been gardening here for 35 years, is that we have two whole months more of a growing season than we did in 1990 when I moved here. And that is phenomenal if you think about it. There's only 12 months in the year for two months more. I mean, that's a huge percentage change in my little tiny lifetime in 33 years. We now are able to plant our garden a whole month earlier and count on it not freezing for a whole month later in the fall. Another way that I look at it, I live 65 miles outside of Anchorage, just between Sutton and Chickaloon. And when I'm in Anchorage, which I am a lot, and I'm talking to people about this, I'm talking about climate change, I point out that when we are in Anchorage, whoever I'm talking to, and I am closer to outer space than my house in Anchorage. And people often give me a quizzical look. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? But the fact is is that the definition of outer space is 100 kilometers up, 62 miles up. We can't breathe six miles up. And so for us to think that we are not changing the chemical composition of the atmosphere is just its unheard of. I mean, if I started a fire here in the office, there's no chimney in here, you'd say, what the hell are you doing, Chris? You're going to change the chemical composition of the room. And I would say exactly. That's what's going on with our very fragile, small atmosphere. We have a billion fires going out on the planet right now. We're clearly changing the the, uh, composition of it, and we're seeing the effects.
1: One of the things that often comes up when Mike and I talk about what is the impetus for the Renewable Portfolio Standards Bill that we've introduced, or why am I so passionate about it, I often talk about my home of Nome. I was born and raised there, and I can tell you with detailed analysis the differences of the sea ice from when I was born to what it looks like today. And my father has been giving me updates repeatedly about the quality, the thickness, the time it takes for the sea ice to solidify, and for community members to be able to go out to fish, to hunt, to crab, to do the things that they need to do to connect the land, the ecology of our community, the spirit of the place that we inhabit, and it is becoming more tenuous. The Arctic really is the canary in the coal mine. It is showcasing to us the detrimental effects of global warming, and it's speeding up. It's, it's something that we need to be rapidly reacting to. And the most recent report from the UN about global climate change and global warming calls for us to act today. Right, We can't afford to, to wait another year, to wait for more of us to get on board. We have to act. Otherwise, there's not going to be a planet for the next generation to inhabit or to inherit
0: I agree. Things are happening much faster than people think. And there's a lot of people out there who would now agree that climate change is happening, but they don't understand the pace. It's happening very quickly. And that's what we need to be really focused on is acting quickly. Another thing that I know about your hometown of Nome and other communities uh, up in the Northwest Arctic is When that ice used to form earlier, it formed a barrier to all these big fall storms. It was essentially like this huge ice barrier that was way offshore. And If you don't have that ice barrier, those storms come in right into the community. And that's, of course, what's been happening a lot more. So it's also having direct kind of destructive impacts. And that's across the board going to be something that Alaska is going to have to deal with. We already are dealing with. There's huge amounts of infrastructure in the state. That are being impacted by climate change. So we have a, 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 a motivation, I think, that we're not really seizing upon to be a lot more um, conscious of the kinds of emissions that we're putting out there.
2: I want to talk about the economics, uh, because you mentioned uh, the kind of the economics of importing LNG and all this kind of thing. Um, when I was in Dillingham, Um, I started going to the, it was the new cooperative was basically the local electric cooperative. So I started going to the meetings because I was a reporter at the time. And the first time I walked in, everybody went indiscriminately crazy because they had never had a reporter walk in Mm -hmm. and start covering the meeting before. And people asked me like, why are you paying attention to this? And I was like, well, that is like the most direct payment. That's where the money goes. People in Dillingham, that's what they're paying their money for. So it's, you know, you kind of need to pay attention to what the electric cooperatives and all of these things are doing. So I want to talk about, like, the economics. Currently uh, in the state of Alaska, we have uh, the vast majority of our electricity is generated from – hydrocarbons mm-hmm. right there we do have some hydro uh, Bradley Lake is the is the prime example but right most of our our, our electricity is generated from hydrocarbons that's right in the rail
0: belt depending on the water year is 80 to 85 percent natural gas
2: and so when it basically makes our economy very susceptible to those increases in oil prices and and it that impacts ratepayers across the entire state.
0: That's right. And that's why we call it a portfolio standard, because if we weren't so highly, and I've heard the word dangerously dependent on one fuel, natural gas, we would have a little bit more of a buffer if natural gas prices went up. But the fact that we're 85% dependent on natural gas for our electricity and almost a hundred percent in the Anchorage area for heat, that's a really, really vulnerable place to be. And And to make it worse, about 85% of that 85% comes from one supplier, Hillcorp. And what's precipitated a lot of the recent action in lots of different directions, good and bad, in the last year is that Hillcorp made in an, a public announcement about a year ago saying, we don't think we're going to be able to refill gas contracts for the utilities when those current contracts expire. That means they understand that we're running out of gas. And that is supported by Alaska Department of Natural Resources. DNR has been reporting on this for years. They've been pretty accurate. Their latest report in January of this year says, we are going to have a shortfall in natural gas and Kalkala in 2027. That's four years away. And that means in order to make up that shortfall, we have a couple of options. We can either make up that shortfall with renewables and start really hard and fast now to do that. Or we can just do the same same old thing and keep burning gas. The problem with that is it's going to be a lot more expensive, far more expensive than people understand. And it's going to be a price shock for people if we don't actually, again, take this fork in the road and go toward renewables.
1: Well, I want to ask the big elephant in the room, because we have heard with this bill that we've introduced that there are other options, that we don't need to be putting all of our eggs in the basket of renewables. There's other things we should be considering. And I know my answer as to why I am passionate about rooftop solar, community solar, hydro projects, looking at biomass fuels, things of that nature. But I'm curious to hear your perspective on why don't we pursue things like nuclear, Uh, why don't we look at other ways of generating essentially heat and power for our communities?
0: Well, nuclear power is not cheap. Nuclear power is expensive and the small modular reactors or SMRs that people are all excited about now are at least 10 years out before they're economic. DNR says we're going to have a gas shortfall in four years, not 10 years. So when you talk about a big hydro project, like to sit in Watana. If you talk about a, a gas line, if you talk about small modular reactors, all of that stuff is ten years out. None of us, none of those things will help us. Meanwhile, let's look at what other people are doing. As I mentioned before, the rest of the country is doing wind and solar, and interestingly, they are doing wind and solar. With natural gas in the lower 48, that is one third the cost of our current natural gas prices in the rail belt. So we're paying on the average 750 an MCF for gas in the Anchorage area. And the average price in the lower 48 is under 250 right now. And even at that low, low natural gas price, the lower 48 is still doing wind and solar. So and the argument is, is made by, by the market. The problem is we don't have a market in the rail belt, we have four monopolies. And they are not incentivized to innovate.
1: So my my follow-up question would be, one of the things I really love about SB 101, the Renewable Portfolio Standards, is this way to incentivize someone to, to essentially put solar on their roof. So that if I am the average Alaskan and I'm listening to this podcast and I am starting to panic because I don't want to pay rates that you're projecting are going to hit me by 2027 and... I hope I am here in the state living in my beautiful home that I just built in 2027. What can I do to help be a part of the solution?
0: It's a great question. And it's a really important part of the solution. So REAP has looked at this issue of rooftop solar and our back of the envelope analysis it's not that back of the envelope. We actually put a lot of study into it. We had a GIS expert who's a volunteer from NASA actually help us look at all the square footage and orientation of the roofs in Anchorage. We we think that we could conceivably get 9% of the city's electricity just from rooftop Silver. And there are three elements to making that happen. One is the federal tax credits that just got extended in August. It's 30%. So, If you are a homeowner that wants to build rooftop solar, you get 30% back uh, of your project costs on your taxes, okay? The next element, and this is in the RPS bill, is what's called annual net metering. Right now, the net metering that occurs in the rail belt works like this. If If you produce extra power with your rooftop solar, the utility has to buy it back, but only at a wholesale rate, so that means that if you're paying 22 cents a kilowatt hour, you're not going to get 22 cents a kilowatt hour credit moving forward. If you produce a lot of extra electricity in June, you're just going to get maybe six cents if you're in Anchorage. That is a that's a fraction of what the the retail cost is. So the RPS bill that you have sponsored would make annual net metering the law in the rail belt, meaning that if I produce four times more electricity than I need in June. I have a free June bill, but all of those extra credits move forward at the retail rate. That means all of the extra power that I'm generating in May, June, July, and August, and so on are going to help me pay my November, December, January bills. The third element of making rooftop solar simply a no-brainer is the Green Bank. The Green Bank bill hospital, um 154 incentive at 125 is moving. And I think it can pass this year. And what the green bank would do is provide affordable loans to people to weatherize their home and also to put rooftop solar on. So if you've got a 30% tax credit and you get retail net metering and you can get someone else to help you get started with the upfront capital, it literally is a no brainer or will be a no brainer for people in the Anchorage area and elsewhere in the rail belt to put up rooftop solar. And that helps the utilities because the utilities don't have to pay for any of that. That's getting paid for by the, by the customer and the federal government. And yet it's generating power for the grid that helps that utility comply with the renewable portfolio
2: standard.
1: I really hope my spouse is listening to this because I really really want rooftop solar. And he said that we can't afford it. So I want him to know that we can now.
2: Uh, so and and you, you mentioned the thing that I was going to follow up on, and and that is that all of that independent uh, electricity generation by people helps the utilities basically uh, comply with the RPS. That's right. So whether whether like there's money transacted or not, no matter what, that electricity generation will help your local electricity uh, cooperative or or company meet their meet their objectives.
0: Absolutely, the and that keeps them from having to pay a fine which they don't want to do. The other thing in the bill is that if a utility does come up short and is non-compliant, rather than forcing them to pay a fine that goes to the general fund, the bill would allow that utility to, in lieu of paying that fine, make an investment in the customers that they have and help those customers put a rooftop solar. So they, they don't lose any way. And, and basically, if they have to, pay a fine. Instead, they can actually help somebody in their community, put rooftop solar on, and then that community member in turn is helping them comply in the future.
2: So on my computer, which is right across that wall right there, I've got an entire folder that is dedicated to tidal energy. And I live in Homer, uh, which is on the shores of Cook Inlet, which is one of the most tidally active places on earth. So I want to ask my question about tidal energy generation. I've uh, re- I've spoken to a lot of people. I've done several stories when I was a reporter about tidal energy in Cook Inlet and other areas. Is the technology, does the technology exist for us to uh, basically harness the power of the tides in a place like Cook Inlet? Or is it a long ways off?
0: The short answer is the technology exists. It's not quite economic yet. Okay, so let me uh, run a parallel for you. When wind turbines first started really being put up in California in the 1980s, late 1970s, they worked, they made electricity, but they were 70 or 80 cents a kilowatt hour. Now super large wind turbines all across the world are making power at two cents a kilowatt hour. So what's happened with that technology, and this happens with most technologies over time is you perfect the design and then you start doing economies of scale manufacturing. And when, when that happens, The price per unit keeps going down and down and down and down. That's why solar, for instance, has come down 90% in cost in 10 years. Since the 1970s, 80s, early 80s, solar has come down 99% in cost. Wind has come down almost that as well. So tidal is going to be there. We have all the incentives. We talked about climate change and economics and national security, all these other things. All of them are going to make, I think, tidal, get to that lower price point faster. Tidal is one of those long-term 10-year projects that I really truly believe in because the nice thing about Tidal is it's in perpetuity. You don't have to pay for it. There's no fuel costs, and it's predictable. Uh, As opposed to wind and solar, it's not predictable. Um, You can build an entire electricity generation and dispatch system around Tidal because you know exactly when it's going to come.
2: So you are listening to the Empty Office podcast, which is a production of the, uh, the office of Senator Lukey Gale Tobin. We are uh, joined today by Chris Rose with the Renewable Energy Alaska Project. Chris, why did you start the Renewable Energy Alaska Project? What led you to, to take that leap?
0: Well, it's a funny question because I actually do have one of those aha moments in my life where I decided to do it. So as you mentioned, I had a a law practice for about 13 years and I was doing mediation as well. And I really enjoyed the work I was doing, but I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do it for the rest of my life. And I was still a relatively young person. And I said, well, everything I really care about intersects on energy, the environment, the economy and foreign policy. All those things that I really am interested in, that I watch, that I read about, all intersect on energy. And I started asking myself, well, who's doing anything about renewable energy in Alaska? And then I started asking other people and they were like, nobody's doing it. So that's how it happened. I just really had a moment where I took a leap and I said, well, I'm not going to keep doing this law practice forever. I could have done it, it was a comfortable way to live. Instead, I decided I was gonna start a nonprofit." And so, for the next two years, I went around asking people the hypothetical question: "If I started a renewable energy education and advocacy group, would you join?" And I got a lot of yeses. And after two years, I put my mediation skills to work, and I got everyone in the same room, and we started REAP in two thousand and four. So, it was a you know a process just getting the group started. I'm very happy that I did it, and it's it's very fulfilling work, and I feel like I, I get a lot of energy out of, you know, the passion that I have for understanding that energy is the lifeblood of everything. It's, you know, it really what powers everything in our lives.
2: So I have two last questions that I want to get to. The first one is politics. We are in the Alaska state Capitol in this empty office. Uh, You've been in the building today. I know you've been here a couple of times so far this session. Senator Tobin is day 100 of her first term in office what do you think of kind of like the politics in this building and, and, and how people are coming together to make good decisions? Is it, is it all going to work out? It's going to work out one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Something. I will, don't
1: know about that answer.
2: Something will work out.
0: I, I don't know what it is that we, we, uh, you know, it, it depends on what it, the, it is in that question. Right. But um, joking aside, it's, it's fascinating to watch people work together. And, you know, I've, found this in my mediation career, too. I mean, we have, as Alaskans, a lot of aligned interests. And if you focus on that, I think it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or somebody lives in Nome or somebody lives in Anchorage. All Alaskans care about Alaska, and we want to make the future of the state for our kids and our grandkids a better place. So I think that there is a huge opportunity for us to do a lot of things that will forward the state and keep us competitive. But it takes a lot of listening. And, and I think that that's what sometimes we don't have enough time for. Um, they say that our uh, politics is the art of the possible, but I think to get there, you first have to listen to each other.
2: What about uh, your thoughts on the politics so far, Senator Tobin?
1: One of the things that gives me great hope for our future is our House co-sponsor, So the House version of SB 101 is sponsored by Representative Jesse Sumner. He is a Republican from Wasilla. And we often geek out talking about energy and renewable energy and the future. And one of the things that we deeply share in common is our passion for the the next generation. And both Jesse and I are millennials. We both care very deeply about what's going to happen for his children and for the children of this state, the world. And I find great excitement in looking at the current makeup of the Alaska State Legislature and seeing how many young people are in the room. It is unprecedented. I was talking with someone recently and recognized that a handful of us have brought the average age of the Senate down decades. (laughs) by decades. <laughs> that is to say something about yeah. who is in the room helping make really good policy choices. I get very excited about that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that is exciting, Senator. Uh, and, and it's noticeable walking around the building. There are a lot of new people, and most of them are young people, and they have a different stake in... In the future, than somebody who is 60 or 70 or 80 years old. It's just, uh, it's, it, it is a really good sign, I think, that young people are interested in politics and getting involved.
2: Well, I'm very hopeful uh, for not only this piece of legislation, but for solutions coming out of this body and, and local governments across the state of Alaska. I think that there, uh, a few years ago, I was very skeptical that anything would ever change. And now I am way less skeptical than I used to be. So I think there are good things on the way. So I'm going to wrap up with our final question. And I told you this earlier, and uh, and you, uh, you mentioned that you were glad that I told you so you could think about it a little bit. So the question I've been asking everybody is, if you could choose one person, dead or alive, they get a vote and they get to sit next to Senator Tobin on the floor of the Alaska State Senate to help us out, who would that be? Jay Hammond. And why is that?
0: Well, there's obviously so many people I could choose. Jay Hammond I choose for a number of reasons, including the fact that he's actually been here. Um, He was representative and a governor, if people don't know. But he was also a local politician out in Dillingham a long time ago, and he really understood the entire state. There was a book written about him called Bushrat Governor. He was the true Alaskan. Um, I think in, in a lot of ways, a person who came up here, made his life, did a, a lot of interesting things all, all across the state. He was a pilot, um, saw a lot of the state, understood all of the, the varied interests that we've got in Alaska. This is a huge place. I often tell people when I'm traveling or even when I'm you know, in, in Alaska, we would be the 19th biggest country on the planet if we were a country. It's a huge place and a lot of different people have a lot of different things going on. And I think Jay Hammond understood that. And I think, again, that's the kind of understanding and empathy that we have to have for each other to get things done. So I'd love to see Jay Hammond uh, back in office here.
2: Well, Chris Rose, thank you so much for coming in. And I very much appreciate all of your efforts uh, in regards to the bill that we are, we are putting forward and, and I appreciate all your help.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Senator.
2: So you have been listening to the Empty Office Podcast, which is a production of the office of Senator Lukey Gil Tobin. You can subscribe to the podcast on Substack and the Apple Podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave a positive review. That will help spread the word. I'm Mike Mason. Please be safe out there.